Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone has been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Thomas, also also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the door were, doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, April, for reading. Uh, and keep your Bibles open to John chapter 20. Uh, let's pray that God will speak to us this morning, this afternoon. Lord, we once again thank you that you are uh, God who is alive and active, that you've created, you've spoken the world into existence, that you sent your word, Jesus Christ, to live and die and rise again for us. And we pray that as we come to this text and as we come to this scene of the empty tomb, Lord, that these words will come alive, that you would speak to us, that we might believe and have life in his name. Amen. There's a lot of fake news um, these days around the world. Um, I wonder which one of these you think you can tell, whether it's fake or real. Is this fake or real? Pope Francis shocks the world, endorses Donald Trump for president. Fake. But many people believed it. How about this one? FBI agents suspected, uh, suspected Hillary email leaks found dead in the apartment under murder-suicide. Fake or real? Yeah? Fake? Real? It was, it's, it's fake. 
So if there was any doubt, then you're a fool. <laughs> no. um, this is, it was fake, um, but a lot of people once again believed it. How about this one? Women arrested for defecating on boss's desk after winning lottery. Once again, um, this sounds like it could be true, but it was also fake. Uh, it's important to be skeptical these days, isn't it? Because um, there are a lot of information that is not true out there. And not only that, if you've studied philosophy or know anything about postmodernism, actually we know postmodernism has exposed how often we use knowledge and information to actually take, uh, abuse uh, the weak and the ignorant, to control others, how history is written by the winners. And so the losers, their perspective gets forgotten. And the world is the way it often is because of uh, the, the, the people who are powerful, because of the power disparity in this world. And of course, there's much abuse in religion as well. A couple of years ago, I've told this story before, when I went to Thailand, I had to go to and sit uh, through this Buddhist chanting in Thailand for at least a couple of hours. So I was curious as to what they were saying. So I was asking everybody, do you understand what they're saying? And actually, nobody understood because nobody was speaking Thai. The chant was not in Thai. They weren't seeking to be understood. And I think this is my thought on this. They were chanting in a different language because actually many religions that are not true thrive on that sense of mystery, on that creation of uh, sense of mystery and the other uh, worldliness, but not being understood. Of course, that's not just Buddhism and and Buddhists in Thailand who do this. Even Catholics did it for a long time. And some still do. The Mass was said in Latin. And the priests have all these different sort of uh, mysterious things to create that sense of mystery. Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, all thrive in suppressing questions, in seeking not to be understood. But Christianity overall, does not thrive on mystery, in that sort of mystery. Of course, it points to mystery because God is greater than what we can understand. He is beyond us, but Christianity, unlike fake news or fake religions, thrive when its followers understand, understand its history, grasp, uh, grasp the Bible and its messages and, 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 and the God to whom that the Bible points to. So if you're not a Christian here today who've come because it's Easter, I hope you are starting to ask questions about God, about Christianity. Do ask us. Do ask the Christians around you because we want to answer these questions. And that's what Thomas, in our text, should have done. Examine the evidence. When Jesus appeared to the other disciples, he sadly wasn't there. So, when, so imagine how excited the 11 disciples, 10 disciples must have been when Thomas came in. Verse 25, we've seen the Lord. They shout. How excited they must have been, but how deflated they must have been at Thomas's response. Thomas refuses to believe. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not Believe, he says. His doubt, on the one hand, okay, maybe is understandable because no one had expected someone to come back to life. Resurrection was unexpected by everybody. But Thomas 
had been one of the 12 disciples. You see, Thomas was spent three and a half years with Jesus. He was there when Jesus turned the water into wine and healed the royal official's son in Capernaum, healed the, the, uh, the paralytic in, in Bethesda, fed the 5,000, walked on water, healed the blind man from birth, raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there when Jesus did all of these things. He was there actually when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He was there when he predicted his own death and the resurrection. Of course, these friends who are telling him now. Well, these were his friends, not some strangers. These are people that he spent time with, people he could trust. And yet, he does not believe. There's also the fact of the empty tomb. He could have gone and see that the tomb was empty. Yet, he still does not believe. He had enough evidence, didn't he? There's another person in the story who has a hard time believing. Early in the Easter morning, in that Easter morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She sees that there's a lot of seeing and believing. It's supposed to be coupled together. She sees that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Immediately, she assumes, though, that someone had stolen Jesus' body, verse 2. Later on, when she sees the angels seated where Jesus' body had lain, she still doesn't see the resurrection. You know, Americans have this saying, I believe it when I'll see it. Well, in verse 14, Jesus appears right in front of our eyes. Women, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Jesus is standing right in front of her eyes, but she still doesn't see Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. It's only, only when Jesus calls her by name. Mary, she sees. You know, in all likelihood, this is Mary, the same Mary in John 11, brother of Lazarus back in chapter 11, who heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Neither Thomas nor Mary had excuse to be more skeptical than they were. When they saw or uh, the herd of the empty tomb, what they should have said is, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. Of course, he is the Messiah, the Son of God. So when Jesus appears to Thomas, he rebukes Thomas, doesn't he? In verse 26, 27, Jesus says, peace be with you. Yes, he wishes peace, but he goes straight to Thomas right after. You can see, almost see Thomas's face uh, turning bright red, can't you? Jesus says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's okay to be skeptical. But it's not okay to be so doubtful that you ignore the, the evidence. Isn't that why we shake our heads when people still deny global warming? When Kyrie Irving, I don't know if you know Kyrie Irving, he's an NBA star, recently, this past year, said the earth is flat. We think this is silly. It's silly to deny evidence. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. He was buried, but he rose again and he appeared to his disciples and to numerous other people on multiple occasions. There is ample evidence for the resurrection of Christ. There was the fact of the empty tomb that Mary had discovered. 
Though the disciples went around saying Jesus rose from the dead, that the tomb is empty, no one, none of the opponents refute this by saying there is, that, that's where he lies. That, that, that's, that's where his body is. Nobody refutes, nobody uh, points um, to, uh, uh, to the empty tomb because the tomb was empty. Muslims believe that the tomb was empty because Jesus didn't, didn't actually die. He only looked dead on the cross, but he came back out of the tomb. No, that's, that's silly. That people stole his body, his disciples, or his opponents. None of it makes sense. There's evidence of people's testimonies. John says he wrote this gospel because he saw the risen Christ so that you might come to know him and believe in him too. And if you think about what testimonies are, I mean, testimonies are the only way we can know anything is true from the past. Right? Whether that's Tiananmen Square or the Bible. People who were there recorded, saw, saw these things and recorded, for, uh, recorded it for others. The most important thing is whether the testimonies are reliable. So it's okay to question the reliability of John, Mark, and, and all these other people, but I believe them. I think there's ample reason to believe them because they staked their lives on this claim that they saw the risen Christ. They went out, 10 out of 11 disciples were murdered, saying that they had seen the risen Christ. We know that Jesus rose again because not only the 11 disciples saw this, but many, many people, over 500 people saw the risen Christ. And they couldn't all have hallucinated. They didn't all, uh, Jesus appeared not just once, but many times to multiple people. People who didn't expect his appearance. Something great happened on that Easter morning. Something that changed the disciples' lives forever. Something happened. There is ample evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you will examine the evidence. Jesus said in verse 29, because you have seen me to Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. We are to believe based on the evidence, based on the testimonies of these uh, disciples. You might say, wow, that's unfair. Still, still Jesus appeared to the disciples, didn't he? Why doesn't Christ appear to me? Then I will believe it. Well, that's not quite true either in this story. Not all disciples believed when Jesus appeared to them. Take a look at the close, uh, closely uh, at the beginning of our story. When Mary Magdalene comes to the disciples, Peter and the other disciple, who we know to be John, ran to the tomb. And John reaches the tomb first but does not go in. Peter came after but went straight into the tomb, verse 6. And he sees, he sees the evidence, the strips of linen and cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. It's lying there. He saw. But John does not say that Peter believed, right? It just says he saw. But take a look at verse 8, how John reacts. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. You see, John the, John, the disciple, believed because he saw the evidence. Because he had heard Jesus 
uh, predicting his own death and the resurrection because he had seen Jesus doing miracles and Jesus, and he had seen the empty tomb and the linen that was lying there. Jesus didn't appear to him yet, yet he believed. And we are to believe. John wrote so that we might believe, verse 30. Um, these are written so that you might believe. But what are we actually to believe? Um, even though Thomas was rebuked for his um, lack of faith, to him belongs the climax of Gospel of John, this confession of Jesus' identity, my Lord and my God. This is the first time in history anyone confesses Jesus to be God. Right? My Lord and my God. If Christ rose again from the dead, if this confirms everything that he, uh, he said, then this ought to be the only response, only appropriate response to this. When Jesus appeared, Thomas didn't actually went and put his finger at the wound and his hand on the side because he was too ashamed. You know, he will come to us in glory and power uh, just as he did to Thomas. And when he comes again, the most ardent atheists, the people who are shouting for evidence, they will also bow their knee. They will also proclaim Jesus to be their Lord and God. They will know that they won't be asking for more proof. They'll confess Jesus as Lord and God, even as they are judged. But these are written so that we might believe now. So that we might confess Jesus to be our Lord and God. But why? Why should we believe him? Why should we believe him now? Well, John gives the reason, verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you have life, you may have life in his name. A life in his name. We can't read those words in the Gospel of John apart from the words Jesus spoke when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. They die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. He's the uh, Christ conquered death by rising again. Our sins killed him. But death could not hold him. He rose again from the dead. And that's why we sing victory over death on Easter Day. If you've ever been to a Christian funeral, you have a sense of what this is about, what this feels like. The liturgical color for funeral is white. Uh, that's the, the color, the white, white, which is the same for Easter. Christian funerals are filled with hope of the resurrection. The triumphant cry that Paul recorded, Oh, death, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death, is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will rise again because Jesus rose again from the dead.
we will have eternal life because Christ defeated sin and death. And John wants us to know that life, that eternal life that will come. But not, not only that. I don't think it's just about the new creation. I don't think it's just about the resurrection. Because Jesus, back in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. John wants us to know the life now, the fullness of life now. There's a big difference, once again, of people who know Jesus and who don't know him. Even now, how they live, how they look at the world. If you were there at Albert's baptism, Albert said before he knew Christ, he was uh, plagued with worries. What will happen to the future? He was always making plans. He was always worried about the future. Now that he's come to know Christ, he's no, he no longer worries because he knows the loving Father who will take care of him. Life that knows no worry because it knows God the loving Father. Life that no longer strives to become someone because Christ assured him of his worth. Life that knows no condemnation because Christ became his righteousness. Life that knows no fear of death because she knows the power of the resurrection. Life that is generous because God has been so generous to him. Life that not, does not pursue idols because she knows the satisfaction, the wellspring of water that comes in knowing the one true God. And life that can be selfless because the self is taken care of by God himself. It's life abundant. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose again. That's why John wrote this gospel, that so you might come to know Jesus and to have life in his name. So if you don't yet know him, call on him. Examine the evidence and call on him as your Lord and God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise that your son died and rose again from the dead. Lord, help us to be people people who do not uh, who have not yet seen but believe not just to to believe but to love Jesus and we pray now that your spirit would fill this church your spirit would guide those who don't yet know you that you would open their eyes you would help them to see you that they too might confess Jesus Christ as their lord and god that they might believe in him and have life in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond uh, by singing about the cross and the power of the cross. And this is our offering song, so if you're a guest with us, uh, please do not feel obliged to feel, uh, put anything there. This is really for the church family. We're just really glad that you're able to join us.